At this time, would you take out your Bible with me and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, Luke's Gospel, and as you're turning, go ahead and find the second chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Well, we've been in a series in which we're calling the story of salvation. We're walking, really, every week through the Gospel of Luke, and today we have come to probably one of the most familiar passages in the entire Gospel of Luke. It's the scene of the Nativity. And as we think about the Nativity, as we think about the birth of Christ, I think about what, what probably you think about, and that is that nativity scene. I, I, I've been really this year kind of struck with just trying to notice and look at uh, more nativity sets as I see them around places. And, and, as, and as we think about the nativity scene, uh, more, more than likely, most Christian families this time of year have some type of nativity scene uh, set up there in their home. I wonder, do you have one? How many of you have one? And, and we have ours set up at our house. Uh, there in the music room, we have it on top of the piano. Jessica has a pretty glass nativity set. And even Ashlyn this year, she has one of those little Fisher-Price nativity scenes. And so a couple weeks ago, we were laying there on the living room floor and playing with this nativity set and getting it all set up. And, and, and you know, when I, what was so fascinating to me is these nativity scenes are, are made of all different kinds of stuff. Uh, in fact, they're made of all different kinds of materials. I've seen some that are made of wood and they're handcrafted and really unique. I've, I've seen others that are made with ceramic or with glass. And, and I'm sure as you've had, uh, we've seen them in all kinds of shapes and sizes and colors. And yet, and as we look at all of these different nativity sets, there's one thing that they all have in common. Uh, do you know what that is? The characters, right? Uh, the characters. The, the, the characters are the same. And, and, and if I were to ask you this morning to describe really the characters in the nativity scene, I dare say you'd nail it, right? Uh, who, who was there, right? So we have... Uh, Oh, come on, shout them out. Who are the characters in the nativity? Yeah, yeah. So we have Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus and the shepherd. Who said the wise men? Nah, there were no wise men there. At least not at the nativity scene, right? Not for a number of months. All of you people that have all the wise men huddled up right there at the nativity, you just need to move them into the other room, all right? Because they're not coming for about nine more months, all right? And uh, they're not there, but, but Joseph was there, and Mary was there, and baby Jesus, and the shepherds, and, and you know, as I've thought about the story of the nativity again this week, I, what, what I really truly believe is that, that as we consider those characters there around the manger, I, I dare say that most of us here this morning know the story. Actually, I think if I were to take a microphone and just begin to walk around the room and, and have you describe for us the Christmas story, I, I, I dare say that, that most of us know the information, that, that most of us know the events surrounding this scene in a manger. And, and, and you could describe for us what took place that night on, on the hillside of Bethlehem. And you could, you could tell us this morning about Joseph and Mary. And, and you could talk about the shepherds. And, and you could talk about baby Jesus. But, but here's my question this morning. Here's my question. I wonder this morning, have you been moved by the reality of it? Have you been moved 
by the reality of the story. You know, and as I've pondered it this week and I've thought afresh again about this passage where we're going to be this morning in Luke chapter 2, I, I just thought about, I wonder how that night there in Bethlehem changed some things. How did it change Joseph? I wonder, how was Joseph's life different because of that night? I thought about this week as I thought about Mary and, and all the things that she went through and making her way from Nazareth to Bethlehem and, and there that night as she holds in her arms the Christ child. I wonder, how did that night change Mary? How did it change the shepherds? And really the question that I have for you this morning is, how has that scene changed you? How has it changed you? And this morning, we, we, we go to this very familiar story. You've opened your Bible there to Luke chapter 2. Begin with me in verse 1. Let us just look afresh at this story that we know so well. Notice beginning in verse 1, the Bible says that in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this first registration was when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And so already, what do we discover here in this passage? Well, we're discovering something about the setting of the story. We discover that Caesar Augustus ascends to the throne at the death of Julius Caesar. And Caesar Augustus, his rule marks the beginning of the Roman Empire. And so what does Caesar Augustus do? Well, he decides and he decrees that there would be this census that all of the Roman Empire would be registered. And, and although, as we think about Israel and there in Jerusalem, the Jews under this Roman occupation would be exempt from things like military service, there was one thing as tributaries to the Romans that they were not exempt from, and that was taxation. And when we know that the Jews had their own king, we know him as Herod the Great, but the Bible tells us, notice again in verse 1, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And notice what he does in verse 2, and this registration was when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And so Caesar Augustus, although the Jews had a king, Caesar Augustus takes this governor by the name of Quirinius and he places them over these Jewish people in this region in order to extract taxation from them, making sure that Rome got its fair share of what they were due. And the Bible says, notice in verse 3, that during those days, the Bible says, all went to be registered each to his own town. So, so here's the thing, Joseph had no choice but to comply with the census. And knowing that Mary was already um, expecting, knowing that Mary here, to whom he was engaged, the Bible tells us was great with child, the couple elects to take this journey together. And so Joseph and Mary, they travel from Nazareth back to Joseph's hometown of Bethlehem. And they do so knowing that probably more than likely at the end of their travel, Mary would be giving birth rather soon and for them to order to be together. And so, I mean, now just think about it. What was this journey like as, as they made this time, as they made their way from Nazareth all the way to Bethlehem? I mean, really the journey itself for Mary, who at this point is nine months pregnant in the story, is rather quite remarkable. I mean, the trek from Nazareth to Bethlehem was like no joke. If, 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 I've Google mapped the thing, all right? It's 98 miles to get from Nazareth to Bethlehem. It's about two hour and 40 minute drive. You're gonna have to pay a toll. You're gonna go through the mountainous terrain, but you're gonna get there, all right? 
But that's all with modern convenience of travel, right? Did Mary and Joseph have modern convenience of travel, yes or no? No. And so for them, it would have been farther. For them, it's like a 32-hour walk from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And we know that they're poor, so Mary and Joseph aren't riding in on a chariot, right? More than likely, Mary's riding a donkey. She's coming on some type of pack animal. And so they make their way to the census. And, and so think about what this had been like. This, this means for Mary and Joseph, they're, they're facing a three to four day travel on a dusty, busy, dirty road. I mean, the road would have been packed because of the census. Everybody was moving back to their hometown for this census. And so there they are. And Mary's nine months pregnant, making this three to four day journey, riding a donkey. How many of you ladies are up for that adventure? And then I thought, what's of you guys are up for that adventure of your pregnant girlfriend or, you know, betrothal riding a donkey nine months pregnant? I'm not up for that either, right? Because you're, you're hearing all the complaints, you know, but Mary did it so graciously. Mary did it with such grace. You, 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 think about, you think about what they're enduring, and as they go, and they're, they're just exhausted. They're worn out from their travels. They're tired. They're exhausted. They, they, they finally arrive there in Bethlehem, and they're ready to rest, except for the Bible says in verse 7, notice there was no rest for them. Notice in verse 7, there was no room for them in the end. And so after this long, arduous journey, Mary and Joseph find themselves in a rather uncomfortable area. They find themselves in an area which would often be reserved for the animals. The Bible says, notice that there in verse 7, because there was no room for them in the end. Now, I'll tell you, this is not what most of you are probably thinking. Uh, this is not a hotel, a lot of us have grown up in the tradition of thinking that Mary and Joseph were like walking around Bethlehem trying to find a place and they're knocking on every hotel and there's all these signs of no vacancy. That's really not probably what the scripture is communicating here. Because at this point in the story, just remember, there's no wise men and there's no begrudging uh, uh, innkeeper, all right? He's not there either. Why? Because, because, because in that day, in biblical times, family stayed with family. If you had family in the area and Joseph's going back to be in his hometown, more than likely Mary and Joseph would be staying with Joseph's family. And so it's interesting to me, the word in the Bible that is used for in here is just a word that means lodging. It means it really could carry the connotation of a guest room. It's actually not the Greek word that's used in Luke chapter 10 in the story of the Good Samaritan. Remember, the Good Samaritan takes this guy that's been beaten up and he puts him in an inn. It's not the same word. And so what do we think about? More than likely, Mary and Joseph are here. They're each going to be registered in their own town. And so all the family is coming back to their hometown. And in one sense, this is about to be a massive family reunion for Joseph's side of the family. And I'm telling you what, Joseph has a lot of explaining to do. Because as he arrives, he's there with his betrothed wife who he is engaged to be married, but he is not married to yet. And she's showing pretty profoundly. I mean, she's nine months pregnant. And in that day, in a highly conservative culture, it would have been one of those things that, that for Mary to have done this outside of marriage could have, could have easily been uh, to be stoned for. And so, so here's the thing. At this point in the story, she's not his wife. They're still engaged to be married. 
But when they arrive in Bethlehem, it's interesting, Joseph doesn't really face any closed doors. They're welcomed in, I think, to his family. But the family's house is already packed. I mean, all the people are coming in for this census, and so where does Mary and Joseph end up? They end up in, there was no room for them in the guest room. There was no room for them in the lodging, and so more than likely, Mary and Joseph are there in this lower level of the house, and they're forced to stay in a place that is reserved for the animals. And I want you to think about what the scriptures say. Notice how the scriptures portray it in verse six. And so while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a what? In a manger. A feeding trough. Why? Because there was no place for them in the inn. You know, the story of the nativity is astounding. And as I thought about the story of the nativity again this week, you know what's come to my mind is I thought about how astounding the story is. That it's a story of how God came down. It's a story of how God humbles himself and takes on human flesh. It's the story of God lying in a manger. It's the story of how the Son of God comes into our world. He steps into our world. He comes to be with us. He comes to live among us. He comes so that he might save us. You see, this morning, we light the Christ candle and we do so in this awareness of the reality that he is God. He is God Emmanuel. He is God with us. And as we think about leading all of these things up into this moment, as we think about Christ coming, as Jesus himself takes on flesh, he does so so that he can be with us. He can live among us so that he might save us. Listen to what the gospel writer John says, beginning in verse four of chapter one, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world, and was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. The glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. You see what John's saying? He says, Emmanuel has come. God with us. And as God steps into time on that faithful night, notice, pick up with me in the story. Go back in Luke chapter two and pick up in verse eight and notice how the story continues. And the Bible says, notice, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said unto them, behold, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And so notice, they had to go, they had to go look, notice. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, this army of angels just tore through the night sky, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on peace among those with whom he is pleased. 
And when the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying to all concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen as it had been told unto them. Notice in verse 17, and when they saw it, the Bible says, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child, that, that, that there is great news, there is good news of great joy, that for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior. And the Bible says the shepherds went out and they went out rejoicing. They were moved. The shepherds were moved as they thought about this scene of a manger. The shepherds were moved even as they left from the manger scene, going out, telling others of what they had seen and heard. And the Bible says in verse 18 that all who heard it wondered. They marveled. You gotta ask yourself, really, I wonder how long did they marvel? How, how long were they caught up? How long were they moved? How long were they overwhelmed in their spirit as they heard the good news of great joy that for unto them is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ. That word Christ is the New Testament word Messiah. That the Messiah had come. That God had been faithful to his promises. And I want you to think about this morning. Here's the thought for this message this morning. I want you to think about this morning just one question. How has the reality of this manger scene, how has the reality of this story moved you? And as I think about those characters that night who, who oversaw and looked at all of these things with such wonder, I thought about, I think about Joseph. Oh my, how Joseph must have been moved in his soul as he held in his arms his own salvation. And as he whispered in his ear the name Jesus. I think about Mary, how Mary must have been moved as she, she pondered all of these things and began to treasure up all these things in her heart. I think about the shepherds. How were the shepherds moved as they, as they saw the glory of God just tear apart the night sky as, as, they, as they were moved, as they made their way to Bethlehem and found this manger and as they stood there in the manger scene and the shepherds peered into the very face of God. You have to ask yourself, how were they moved? And I ask you the question this morning, has the reality of the nativity ever moved you? Does it move you? You see, if we're not careful, we'll go through this time here in the holidays of seeing all of these things and we'll remember it happened, we'll remember it happened. It's almost like a matter of fact, it's information. But I wonder this morning, as you look at a manger scene, as you think about Christ coming to this world, does the reality of that move you? God himself taking on flesh. God himself stepping into time that he created. God himself being born in a manger. Why? Why? The angel tells us. Why did Jesus come? The Bible says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a what? Savior. Say it louder, a what? Turn to your neighbor and tell him Jesus is a savior. He's a savior. What does that mean that Jesus is a savior? 
it means that Jesus is one who delivers. A savior is somebody who delivers people from danger. A savior is a rescuer who rescues people from peril. And Jesus, notice, comes as a savior. He comes because why? Because the Bible would teach that you and I, my friend, are in need of rescuing. We're in need of rescuing. Jesus comes to this world and notice what does he do? He comes to redeem us out of this broken world. Jesus comes to save us. Do you realize this morning, my friend, that you need a savior? When was the last time you thought about the reality of the fact that apart from God, you're gonna spend an eternity in a place called hell? But apart from Jesus Christ, you have no hope. Apart from Jesus Christ, the Bible says that you and I are living as men doomed to die. We, we, we were going to face judgment, and the Bible says one day we're going to face the final judgment. But Christ has come, notice why, to save us. He's come to redeem us. He's come to deliver us. And the Bible says this morning that you're a sinner in need of saving, and Jesus Christ is the answer. Jesus Christ is your hope. So has the story of the nativity moved you? Has the story of the nativity been something that you've come to embrace in your own life? If not, my friend, you're gonna spend an eternity apart from everything in a place of judgment. But the gospel is the good news. It's the good news of what Christ has come. That God in his love, as we light this candle this morning in, rem in remembrance of the love of God, that God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him should not, what? perish. There's, there's a rescue and have eternal life. You see, my friend, look at me this morning. God has not only come to save you from something, but God has come to save you for something. He's come to save you for a relationship with him. He's come to give you his hope, his love, his joy, his peace. God has come to give you these things and I pray this morning that as you think about this scene around the manger that the reality of that has moved you, has moved you in your own soul. And if not, today could be the day for you to receive Christ. Today could be the day where you turn away from all of your selfishness and all of your sinfulness and you come in faith for what Jesus Christ has done for you and you put your, salvation, you put your trust in him to save you. That's the hope. That's what the shepherds were so elated about. That's, that's what the shepherds went out declaring to all of the hillside, that, that there has been born a savior. There is hope. I, I tell you, we're living in a day where people don't have that. You ask people, do they have deep, meaningful joy? No. Do they have a deep, abiding sense of hope and purpose? Do they know that they've been loved? I say those are, these things represented in these candles are probably four things that most people don't really have. Or they think they have, but they don't really have it. And you only receive those things when we come to Christ. When we come to receive him as the Lord and Savior of our life. Here's my question. Has the nativity scene moved you? I'd encourage you today, sometime today to find a quiet place and to pause and to consider this scene in your own heart 
and think about what did Jesus do for you? Not for the person sitting four rows down from you, not for the person beside you, but what has Jesus done for you? And has that moved you? My friend, look at me this morning. If it hasn't moved you, you've not paused at the manger scene long enough. So sit there and think and peer into that manger scene and ask yourself, what has Jesus done for me? Father, we thank you this morning for your love, your hope, your peace. We thank you for what Jesus has done for us. Oh God, I pray this morning that this is not just form of of motions that we go through. But God, there's a reality of what you have done for us that has moved us in the deepest part of our soul. That we know that apart from Jesus, we would be lost for all eternity. But in your love, in your great love, you saved us. God, I pray for someone in this room this morning that needs to receive that. And they have been going through life and the motions, and and they've deceived themselves into thinking they have those things. But if they're really honest, God, they know in the depth of their soul they lack this love and joy and peace and hope that we talk about. But it's what you've come to give. And I pray that right now, here in the stillness of this moment, they would call out to you to be their Savior. The Bible says, my friend, that whosoever would call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Confess your sins. Confess your need for Christ. Repent of what you have done and invite, receive Christ into your life. It's all a matter of what your faith is in. Is your faith in what Jesus Christ has done for you? My friend, the offer is there this morning for you to receive him. I pray that you would receive Christ in your life. Father, we thank you this morning for what you've done for us. It's incomprehensible when we think about all that you went through for love for us. And we give you all praise and glory in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen.